Hello again, everybody. It's time for the Mainland Podcast. It is episode number 60. I am Michael Citro, and I am the managing editor for TheMainland.com. Welcome to our program. I am joined this week once again by uh, senior columnist Andrew Harrison. Andrew, how are you this evening? I am riding high off a win, so it's always a good... uh, What day is it today? Wednesday. No, Thursday. Thursday. Yeah, we're recording this on Thursday. We're going... We were going to record it on Tuesday and have it done early in the week, and uh, I wasn't feeling well, so we put it off, and now st- everything's uh, back to normal I'm here. I'm still riding high, though. <laughs> yeah, a long that's, time. that's good. Uh, of course, it was Jason Kreiss's, uh debut as Orlando City coach uh, in MLS, it should be mentioned. And, um, you know, it seemed like things were kind of going to go the way that they have been going in terms of uh, the team... You know, pretty much played, I thought, better than New England in the first half. But all they had to show for it was a crazy deflection that ended up in a Kai Kamara breakaway goal and a one nothing Revolution lead at the end of the first half. How did you see that first half? Um, I saw it as a continuation of the Heath era. We were prone to mistakes. We didn't look like we were up for the game. And I think we were, you know... As you mentioned, we just got punished for that mistake that we made. Um, I don't think it was a great first half, though, and it's definitely not one for the history books, unlike the second half, which uh, went a lot better for the Orlando City side. It did. You know, I, I remember I was at the at the game, obviously. I was covering the game in the press box, and I remember looking at the stat sheet, and I thought, man, you know, Orlando City has is leading every category except the one that matters, which is on the scoreboard. They were, they were out possessing new England. They were, they had a more accurate passing. Uh, they were winning more duels, all of those things. And, you know, it was just really a, a, a bad bounce off of a deflection that ended up on a new England player instead of on a, an Orlando city player. But again, the Orlando city, they did have a few turnovers in the first half. Um, and in the second half, they came out and, and Jason Christ made a, a little bit of a, a tactical change at the half to get more players involved in the attack. And uh, it worked. It worked like a charm because Orlando City came out and scored three unanswered, and uh, they won going away 3-1. And just an absolutely marvelous performance from Kevin Molino. Yeah, and I think what we really saw, for me personally, was a transition from the Heath system to the Christ system. All of a sudden, he wasn't necessarily relying on the same players to play the same system. He went in and and just made those adjustments that I think we had been much maligning coach Adrian Heath about over the years, not making the substitutions early enough, not showing the tactical changes that really needed to make a change to the game and the way it was going. We saw that this weekend. We got the results from it, Um, and I think we saw some great performances. Kevin Molino was certainly um, capped off a great July, but Kikar played really well, and we started to see some glimpses of Antonio Nocherino as a potential um, player in this side, and Breck Shea looked revitalized now that the left-back experiment is eventually over. Yeah, it was interesting. Jason Christ came out with a a lineup that surprised a lot of us uh, no Darwin Saren or uh, you know Chris Nigita in the starting defensive midfield he went with no Chirino and Carrasco he started Haji Barry at right wing um, mentioned after the game he just played the players that he thought 
had the best weeks in training and earned it on the field, not only in the training pitch, but also in the midweek uh, friendly last week uh, in a 2-1 loss against Stoke City. I believe we recorded before the friendly last week. I don't think there's a whole lot to say about the friendly other than the team used it as a training exercise and uh, it, it kind of showed a little bit, but um, the the promise is there. The second half, uh, the first half was about not conceding, which they didn't. They got to halftime nil-nil, and then the second half, a lot of the younger players came in, and, and the game opened up a little bit more and ended up in a, in a 2-1 uh, win for Stoke. But Haji Berry certainly was a star in that game, and that helped get him into the lineup against uh, New England. What I saw in the first half of the Revolution game was uh, Haji was doing a good job of getting forward, a good job using his speed, but in tight spaces, he was not either not picking out the right pass or not able to execute on the right pass mm-hmm. when he did pick it out. And that, I think, led in part to Breck Shea coming in the second half. And and what I liked about Jason Christ is that he, he wants his wingers to be uh, able to, to cut inside and shoot on goal with their strong foot. So he left Molino on the left side. Um, he mentioned also that Molino and Bowden play well defensively together as a pairing on that side, so he didn't want to break that up. And he said that, you know, he, obviously Breck Shea came in and, and he shot a few high ones, but, you know, I mean, not Rivas high, but he <laughs> at least can't cut inside and did use his stronger left foot uh, to, to bother uh, the goalkeeper a little bit and to make New England's defense stay a little bit more honest. And, and I think that will pay huge dividends down the road if teams know that, that Molino and, and Shea will cut in and, and take shots it might leave more space in the middle of the field for Laren and, and Kaká to operate. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I think what we saw in the New England game is we saw the five years that Molino and Bowden have really had in that position. It was kind of abbreviated last year. Bowden didn't get a lot of starts. Molino was injured. But we really mm-hmm. saw that chemistry that had been so successful in the lower leagues. Um, we saw a resurgence of that. But what we also saw was the fact that all of a sudden Kakao was not being marked out of the game. We were being able to pull away New England's defensive midfield as well as their center backs creating space. And I thought, you know, I've kind of been down on Breck Shea this season too. I thought it was one of his best halves of football this season in terms of penetration, in terms of actually not making that many mistakes because he didn't have to come back and also Mm -hmm. play the defensive role, which even after these 18 months that we've been doing this, he was still learning that job. It's not an easy job. Um, It it was a great performance all around. I think that Molino was well-deserving of the Player of the Month nomination for MLS. Um, I know he came third, but I think Mm -hmm. it's great to see that we're starting to get back into those nominations because we weren't we weren't playing good enough soccer to be recognized and i love that crisis come in it's only his second week now his third week on the job and we're already excited and energetic about this team again even heading into a team like the sounders on the weekend who are having their own struggles but i'm still excited about that game yeah and and we'll talk about seattle a little bit more later obviously but um Kevin Molino, three goals and three assists in the last three games, um, finished ahead of Giovinco in Player of the Month voting. So that's not nothing right yeah. there. Um, you know, uh, finished behind Jake Gleason, and uh, the winner was uh, was Lampard, for, uh, who's had an incredible month. Um, so Kevin Molino was my man of the match. I, I don't know how you saw it, but I, I, I saw Kevin Molino. You, you talked about Breck Shea. Um, 
Brekshay supplied the service on the game-winning goal uh, with his weaker right foot with a very nice cross. And uh, I thought that, that uh, Molino played pretty well in the first half, but I thought it was going to be one of those things where, okay, as soon as he gets back to the right side where he feels more comfortable, he'll, he'll just turn it on. But in fact, he, he played pretty well in the first half, but in the second half, uh, just really came alive when 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 there was a you know I guess an equal equally fear inspiring uh, winger on the other side I, I don't think that New England necessarily respected what Haji Berry did um, and and just certainly he wasn't able to combine in the final third the way we would hope but uh, uh, you know not for lack of effort certainly but I, I thought that Shea definitely helped turn that game Kaká played well Molino played well and, and I'm giving Molino my my man of the match. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think you can't deny what he did in that game as being man of the match worthy. He, he turned it around. He did have a good, solid first half. But like you say, when really you're only really marking three out of the four players because New England isn't really giving credence to Haji Berry's attacking threat. And the, the kid was kind of all legs a little bit. Like he was running, but... He'd get tangled up. He'd lose it. Mm-hmm. He'd he'd play himself into trouble so many times down towards the corner flag that he was getting a little. You could see why Christ made the change. Um, mm-hmm. But I like the fact that he was able to play his way into the side. I think that's something we've really missed since being in MLS. And if we talk about having OCB as a development side, you have to give people the opportunity to play. Um, other than that, I think, like you say, Molino had a great second half because all of a sudden he was given the space because they had to mark Brexia out of the game as well. And they didn't mark either of them particularly well. So <laughs> we combined to devastating effect and, and got that three, those desperate three points um, from a team that we're still chasing, but right behind. Right. And even with them on points for the last playoff spot, they have a, a the wins tiebreaker is the first tiebreaker. Uh, but the game in hand is certainly helpful because you get a draw or a win in that, and then you're you're ahead of them. So um, it's good to see uh, a win and two draws against the the Revs this year, so they technically win the season series, and so that's always nice to get that first season series win over an Eastern Conference opponent. And um, you know, it's it, it was a it, it was a good win because the Revs had been in fine form over the last. Three matches they had uh, they were unbeaten in three and had only allowed two goals mm-hmm. in those three and then uh, you know you go into the second half of that game thinking oh the reps got it locked down which you know it, we're, we're having possession but not getting a lot of dangerous chances and then boom three goals in the second half although you know it must be said Kyle Laren had a golden opportunity early in the game and, and squibbed his shot wide and then he had a, another chance to with a shot that was deflected just inches wide in that first half so. He, you know, there still were some opportunities, just not as clear-cut as, as what we saw in the second half. But um, it'll be interesting to see if this was a a momentary, you know, sort of a um, elevation in play for the new coach, or if this is a, a you know a reinvigorated side and a renewed uh, with a renewed passion and, and lust for the game. And and, and we'll find out uh, a lot more about that on Sunday against Seattle. Yeah, I think you know we talk about a new coach bounce. Um, you could say it was probably that, but I think of the fact is we didn't get the performance that we necessarily expected in the first half from a new coach bounce. Um, it, it was just, I think you've got to put a lot on Christ too for making those tactical substitutions and mm-hmm. understanding 
where the game wasn't working. Like we said, we had a pretty good first half. We were only down through a, a pretty solid full-length field run by Kai Kamara to bury it. Um, yeah. So he made that and he made that subtle adjustment, and I think it was really interesting that he had also not started Higuita and Saren. He had made that adjustment to say that Carrasco and No Serino were going to be the people to keep New England quiet. And let's be honest, they did that as well. We weren't. Mm-hmm. They they never really looked like scoring, especially once we took control of the game. So I'm actually going to say that this is going to be a, a long-term development, hopefully, because he's not really changed it. He's not really added anybody. Um, but we weren't relying on aging legs of Julio Baptista or something to make those changes. We were using the quality mm-hmm. and the depth of this squad that we potentially have. Yeah. The other thing that I, I thought was interesting was that. Um he did bring in Saren and Aguita when it got to 3-1 to protect that lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but we, and that was, as it turned out, segue into our next topic, that was the last uh, participation we'll see uh, from Darwin Saren in a, in a purple uniform for Orlando City as he was traded uh, just this week at the trade deadline to the San Jose Earthquakes for Matias Perez-Garcia, a, an attacking player, a, a short little guy, water bug, five foot five, who we've seen you know, in a, in a couple of matches against San Jose so far since uh, Orlando City's joined MLS. Um, a very dynamic player and a, and a guy who looks like uh, he can combine very well with the, with the likes of Molino and Kaká. What do you think of this trade? What? How do you see this short term and, and how do you maybe see it more longer term? Let's, let's take it short term. I think it, this is a good trade short term. Um, I like Matez, Matez Perez Garcia. Um, I think he brings a lot to this side that really, when we do talk about depth, we don't have it. If Kaká goes down injured, we're then kind of relying on Baptista or Molino to move inside and fill that gap. Um, MPG can come in and kind of give us that break and maybe not force Kaká to play a full 90 minutes. Maybe that's mm-hmm. what needs to start happening. We we can't ignore the fact that Kaká is getting older. Um, Long term... Um, I don't think it makes a lot of sense for us because um, MPG was 31, Saran was only 26. Um, we had just signed Saran to a long-term two-year contract with a two-year option um, in January, which we have traded for a guy who is out of contract at the end of the season and getting paid more. Um, what is interesting, I think, and I know we're going to get to the other signings from today, is that we're starting to see how the off-season is potentially going to go around MLS. Um, and there's going to be a lot of moves. And I think Christ saw this in the short term to be able to make it to the playoffs, get that success that I'm sure the front office wants, fulfilling the stadium next year. Long term, it allows him to move out an expensive guy, taking up cap space and bringing some new talent from OCB and elsewhere. You know, I'm really interested to see what happens with Perez Garcia in the post, you know, in the off season because here's a guy who, if if Jason Christ does end up switching to a 4-4-2 uh, with a diamond midfield, could play that Javier Morales role. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could play that top of that diamond and allow maybe Kaká to play a false nine up top with Laren and. He's a guy who is barely DP money. I mean, it, you know, the, certainly the club has enough allocation money to pay that down yeah. and not have to wor- worry about a DP slot. By the way, the DP slot uh, is being eaten by San Jose for the rest of the year. So that's how come uh, Perez Garcia can can play for Orlando City, even though they have their three 
DP slots full. Uh, I'm still kind of a little scratching my head about how 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 they let Rochez go out on loan and not and not get enough of his salary uh, taken care of uh, to uh, to get that that DP slot open or or maybe they kept the recall ability. You know, we don't have all the details of that contract because. MLS is, uh, is MLS. about as <laughs> yeah, it's about as transparent as a brick wall, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a it's an interesting pickup. I thought, you know, if he does go to four four two, you don't need four or five potentially yeah. defensive midfielders um, when you have guys like you know Harrison Heath coming up behind already solid guys like Carrasco mm-hmm. and Aguida. And of course, Aguida may be moved in the offseason. We we know there's interest. We don't know what's what's going to happen then. Um, you know, Nocherino is a guy who can play on the left side and, and has played on the left side in the diamond midfield and, and done quite well at it before. So, um, it's a nice roster to have, and it's looking deeper all the time. Speaking of looking deeper, the club has acquired the MLS rights to Tony Rocha and, and also to Mikey Ambrose. Now from, from Sporting Kansas City and FC Dallas, respectively, those players were drafted and property of those teams, they didn't sign contracts with them, so they could sign, you know, the USL contract with Orlando City, which they did, and but they, you know, their rights for MLS games and and, and playing in MLS were owned by the original teams that drafted them, and Orlando City threw a couple of uh, you know late draft picks in the next couple of drafts away uh, to to secure their rights and have promoted them and signed them to MLS contracts, and Tony Rocha certainly has has earned that this year. He played quite a bit in the preseason with the first team. He played uh, in the uh, the two U.S. Open Cup games and also played against Stoke City as the only reserve player to start with all MLS regulars. Uh, and the, the writing was always on the wall. I had the bold prediction before the season started that, that he would play in five MLS games for you know, the Lions, and I was start, starting to get toward the end, and I was thinking, well, if you count the, the U.S. Open Cup games, there's only two senior you know, two senior team caps, but uh, now a chance for him to get on the field regularly. And Mikey Ambrose really has been a bright spot for Orlando City B at left back, and that is a position of need now that we know that Jason Christ is not going to play Breck Shea uh, as a defender. He's he's going to concentrate on, on going back to his attacking role and letting Breck be Breck and do the things that made him successful in FC Dallas. And Luke Bowden is is probably not an everyday answer at left back, and you certainly needed to back up that position anyway. So Mikey Ambrose is a he's a young guy, he's very mobile, and you know unlike Bowden, he's he's got decent pace and also a, a pretty good uh, handle on passing the ball. So it'll be interesting to see what these two young guys bring to the club. Yeah, I think we've kind of seen it in OCB this season, and we obviously also saw it for Rocha in the Open Cup. I think this is about what owning your own farm team is about. Um, I think it's an interesting timing that we've gone ahead and done this now. Um, obviously, we're heading towards the off-season, and supposedly, I mean, we know Atlanta is coming in for next year, so does this mean we're going to have an expansion draft? I'm starting to lean to the fact that if we've decided to trade away some super draft picks to pick up these guys, are we going to burn through our 11 protected picks really that quickly um i'm beginning to think that maybe as we're leaning towards we won't see an expansion draft this offseason because 
Otherwise, I'm not too sure how these moves benefit the club for the future. Um, mm-hmm. Because they could just be easily picked up and away they go and we've drafted and created talent for somebody else. Um, I do like them, though, as solid picks, great depth picks. Um, obviously, we are looking very thin on the back line. Um, so I think it makes a lot of sense for Ambrose to be able to come in there and give us that depth just in case somebody gets injured. Because right now, if the Shea experiment is truly over, if Bowden goes down, there was nobody else um, that would be completely burned or picked apart by any even mediocre MLS offense. Um, mm. And then Ambrose, great talent for, um, sorry, Rocha. I think we've seen it from him a lot. Um, I think it was also the reason he came back from, was it Austin, I think, in the... Um, mm-hmm. And he was playing for Austin last year in USL and came yeah, back to us. Were, actually. Um, yeah, both Good talent. And then, of course, Austin isn't going to come back for the USL next season. So this also kind of started to make a bit more of a sense move, too. Um, I like it. I think it's great growth for this club at a, at a young age. Yeah, it absolutely did show the benefit of having the USL reserve side. And, uh, you know, those guys were able to get you know, training time with, with in front of the coaches, with these coaches. Uh, they were able to play against the first teamers. They were able to scrimmage against each other. And you could see, you know, which guys out there for these reserves have MLS-type talent. And and uh, they, they have been deemed, you know, ready to come in and, and give them an opportunity. And, and we'll see what happens. The expansion drafts typically happen in November if they happen. It, we're already into August. We've heard nothing about yeah. this. Uh, which leads me to wonder... Either why is MLS waiting, or you know what are they going to do if there's not an MLS expansion draft? And I know that, um, you know, I guess the easy thing to do would be if you do see a future for these guys with the club, is to maybe leave a more expensive player unprotected, like a Breck Shea, and then you know you deal with it if they if they take him. But you know, typically those high price tags will will scare off a lot of expansion teams. So, um, you know, it, if there's an expansion draft. We'll see how they handle it, but I definitely think that Ambrose was was coverage for Bowden with Shea not being a, a you know a, a pick for defense anymore, and Rocha was a guy who you know you can never have enough talented midfielders, and I think he's a guy who can spell a number of positions. He's very versatile, can play defensive or attacking midfield, and uh, he's a guy who works really hard. He's got a high work rate and uh, tends to to combine well with guys and and. He's got a little bit of a feisty side, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that you expect from a Christ-driven side, too. You expect young talent that he's going to be able to develop. That's what he did in RSL and was very successful with it. That's really what he tried to set up in New York City FC and just wasn't given the time. So I think these are going to be... I just, once again, I think they're going to be great pickups and they really fit with what Christ has been brought in to do, which is develop talent, which is also why I think it is surprising that if we go back to the Saren Garcia from it is the fact is we were led to believe that all of these players were being brought in to develop and then sell. We've kind of all of a sudden switched that tack by trading Saren for really very little, but then we go ahead and send two young guys potentially out of the system when we don't know what's going on. MLS is being MLS and how it's really going to work in this offseason for protecting players or trading players and whether or not MLS is just going to blow it up and start all over again. Yeah, I mean, we, <laughs> we have, Major League Soccer is going to do whatever it's going to do. We're just going to sit back and watch just like we 
We saw with the uh, Chicago, I think, is, is just perpetually going to own the number one allocation slot. They seem to have this this figured out where if we just stay where we're at and then the second you know, the second team will come along and want this player and we could just get a bunch of stuff for them and take their allocation spot, we can perpetually stay in the number one <laughs> spot and keep getting allocation money and draft picks and all that kind of thing. So, um, it, you know, the, the rules are, are weird and dumb and, and, and not all, at all uh, transparent. So uh, where this will all shake out, who knows? But I definitely think that it was if you're going to trade Saren, trade him to the Western Conference where you're not going to see him much. Um, you know, if he gets to play a lot, that's great. I mean, I know that Dominic Kinnear liked him, and you know he's a good player. But and I think a lot of people, you know, some sentimental value there because he was with the USL Lions. But you know, if you watched his play, he's for everything that he does good. He once he crosses the midfield line, his passes are not there. He can't link up on the offensive part of the field. Uh, it really hinders what you could do. He turns the ball over cheaply way too often. Uh, it, at his age, I don't think that's something he grows out of, really. So I, I don't think they gave up a ton, considering the depth at defensive midfield. And I think they potentially got a player who is dynamic enough to push them uh, you know, forward this year and, and po- you know, possibly beyond who, who knows what's going to happen when his contract expires. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, that's what you've traded for is the potential asset for him to come in and say, you know what, you like it here, we'll keep paying you, you've got that dynamic ability. And once again, we don't know what this offseason looks like. Maybe somebody gets interested in Molino. He's, he's starting to show it. He's getting that full season under his belt that we didn't get last year. Maybe we see a whole change in... Molino get shipped out, but I, I agree, you know, Seren was one of five defensive midfielders, and he was low on the salary cap, but mistakes were getting made, and I think you could mm-hmm. probably point to at least two or three games this season where he cost us the game with with a bad challenge just outside of the box that was a blatantly mm. obvious free kick and was converted. I think the Philadelphia game was like that, if I remember rightly. Um, and I can't remember the other one that he was at fault for. Um, but that's something that we can't give up anymore. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's lost his head a few times over the last couple of years. I, I remember just the team that he's being shipped to. He gave up a penalty mm-hmm. uh, in a completely unnecessary area of the box with the, with the player running away from goal. Uh, with the team having a lead, um, you know, so he is he is prone to some lapses, but you know, obviously a, a good player, good locker room guy, good guy, just uh, is part of the business, and and we'll we'll wish Darwin all the best of luck. Going to miss those haircuts for sure. Yeah. Um. So you know, before we get to our guest, you know, obviously a couple of more teams from the club played this weekend. <laughs> The Orlando Pride went to Boston and became only, I believe, the second victim of the Breakers all season and didn't score a goal. They lost 1-0, uh, a very depleted Pride team with not only the internationals gone for the Olympics, but also Sarah Hagen was out with a concussion and, and the team lost Leah Fortune, who retired uh, in the you know in last week uh, to take a job in the corporate world because Women's soccer does not pay worth a damn. Yep. And, um, you know, Tom Sermani took this patchwork club up there, and you'd think you might still be able to scratch out a goal or two against the Breakers, who have been pretty poor this year, but not a single goal. I think they had a goal waved off by uh, Kaylin Kyle for an offside. But uh, 
just um, this doesn't appear to be the magical season for the pride that it did a few weeks ago. And I, I always said that this, this, these last, these few games while the international stars were away, were going to be the difference. They decided not to make any moves in the window and it, it really hurt them. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, just, just looking at their numbers, they are six wins, nine losses, zero ties, 15 games played, obviously it's a 20 game season and they're currently seventh. Um, this stretch of games has just really hurt them beyond a doubt. And I think what they need to start moving into um, is just re- is building for next season and seeing mm-hmm. who's going to be available. Um, but even that's not a definite, um, you know, before this season ever started, a bunch of people retired that nobody was expecting. And then we had it ourselves this week with Leah Fortune, who saw, I'm going to guess, maybe 40 50 minutes for this team total. Um, Mm. But that was a good solid depth player. She had played at an international level and she just kind of left. Um, I think this club really saw that this week and we didn't, I mean, we couldn't beat the breakers and the breakers have been the laughing stock of this (laughs) league for quite some time because they just can't seem to get it right. And we, we didn't have any fight back for them. And I think, having so many losses on our side compared to and with zero ties. I mean, that shows we're either scoring goals or conceding goals. We were not mm-hmm. closing out games. We're not having the ability to do anything. So those final five games don't hold much hope, um, especially on the back of a really bad performance from the break uh, against the breakers. And, uh, yeah. and even when the internationals come back, um, they're already going to be super tired. It's a, grueling schedule if you go all the way to the gold medal game um mm-hmm. I, 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 even when they come back i'm not going to say that this team is all of a sudden <laughs> going to go on a tear the good news is that uh jose belanger didn't play in the first game <laughs> and the australians look like maybe they'll be done early <laughs> i don't know uh we'll see um but yeah it's it's uh, it's not it's not been good for uh, for the pride and and it's with with too many teams to jump over and only a short number of games to do it in. Uh, it's I mean there's some winnable games there down the stretch but it, it's a tall order. You're gonna have to win the majority of those games if not all of them to to get up into the top four. Uh, and the way that the teams have, like the like the Red Stars and the and the Thorns and the teams like that have played this year, I just don't think you're gonna catch uh, too many of them. And, and it's just uh, you know, it's an expansion year. You can't expect too much, but uh, it would be nice to finish strong and go into that offseason with a little momentum and maybe, you know, make a few additions. The team is just a way too too thin here this year in 2016. So uh, go Pride, and we'll still root for you, uh, but it's just not looking good for the rest of the season. Um, why don't we turn our attention to the USL real quickly. Orlando City B went up to Louisville City and... What in what looked like a team? Uh, it looked like a game they were going to get blown out in. They they gave up an early goal. Uh, Louisville City had a ton of possession, a ton of chances, and they were not able to convert on any. And then all of the sudden, in stoppage time, uh, a penalty is given in the box, and uh, Tyler Turner is the guy who steps up to uh, take the penalty. He converts, and then in the in the final minute of stoppage time, uh, they get a second. Uh, from Keegan Smith and and steal three points from USL leading Louisville City a a huge win really for the Young Lions. Oh, without a doubt, and and you know 
like father like son if you want a classic in that kind of relationship <laughs> we'd seen Orlando kind of lose points last season steal them this year and then I think Orlando City be just they came out and gave that gritty performance that is required in USL um, and if you go back to say that for the Orlando City New England game you mentioned that they were leading in all of the, the stats categories that counted and then they were able mm. to turn it around you know, Louisville was leading. They should have been able to close out all that, and they mm-hmm. weren't. And I think that shows great mental resolve. I think it shows you why we picked up two of OCB's players this <laughs> week is because we were able to go to a baseball stadium and win. First yep. of all, that's that's not that's a quite an achievement for us as that's well. That's new. <laughs> yeah. And th- it was just a great, good, solid performance. And don't forget, Louisville was coached by James O'Connor, and they knew a lot of they knew a lot about us, a lot about Heath's old system, but I think you're starting to see that change throughout the club, and that was really what happened in this game for, against Louisville. Yeah, and, and let's not forget OCB was a little shorthanded. Louis Neal was out with an injury, and also, um, you know, young Pierre Da Silva was off with the US U19 team, and uh, without two of their, you know, their most experienced player and their most dynamic player, they go on the road. Uh, and, and again, some of their other starters weren't there because they've been they've been backing up with the with the first team, mm-hmm. uh, guys like Donovan, and um, you know they go on the road to Louisville, which is a very very difficult place to play, and and they get the win. It's just uh, an amazing turnaround for Anthony Pulis and his club because at the beginning of the season they just looked lost, and and they've really really put together a, a solid season there. Uh, Eighth place and the final playoff spot in the Eastern Conference after that win, uh, but a more solidified position with that. And, you know, if they can get wins like that, and they're going to need to win on the road down the stretch to, to improve their playoff positioning and to ensure they get in. Uh, and now they're going to have to do it without Rocha and Ambrose probably for the most part. Um, only if, I think only three home games left for the Orlando City B. So they're, they're going to have to have a lot more performances like that. Yeah, and of course, going away at the end of the season is always a difficult ask. Um, but I think this side has matured. You know, we're not asking that much from them. We're just, even if you scrape in an eighth place, you're still in the playoffs, which was the goal mm-hmm. for this franchise. I think that if they can come through and do that, this team will be able to develop for next season um, and, and grow as a unit because I think that's really what this team is all about. Um, away performances, though, good to be able to go to Louisville because next time you go away from home, you can say, well, we won there. It was a short field. It was in a hostile environment, and we were able to bag it away with us. I think that's mm-hmm. really great confidence heading down to the stretch. And there are still a lot of games to go, but yep. hopefully it'll be good. And some tough places to play like Cincinnati mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So uh, go OCB and uh, what a performance by Mark Ridgers to keep his team in the game. Uh, it could have been so much more than one nil if not for, for the, uh, the heroics of the Scotsman in, uh, in net for Orlando City B. But uh, anyway, we'll take it. Two victories for the club over the, over the weekend and, of course, the one loss for the, for the Pride. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think everybody had a, a nice time at the Stoke City um, you know, friendly last week. It was a sellout over there in the Titan Soccer Complex. Not a big place, obviously, but uh, nice to see they sold it out. Uh, the stream was terrible <laughs> because <laughs> oh, it, was so uh, bad. it was really bad. I, I'm told that it was a, a bandwidth issue because there were so many people watching it. 
a lot of Stoke City fans trying to watch it, a lot of Orlando City fans trying to watch it, and I think it was a problem with overloading the uh, the Wi-Fi at, uh, or at least the internet over at uh, Eastern Florida State College. That's that's what I've been told. I don't. That's not official. That's uh, just something that has been buzzed into my ear, and I'm just passing that along. So take that, you know, with a grain of salt. Uh, but as um, as we turn our attention to Sunday and a game against the Seattle Sounders, a team that uh, beat Orlando City 4-0 last year at Century League Field uh, when they were down to 10 men after 40 minutes because Tyler Turner lost his mind and got two yellow cards in a few minutes' time. Um, uh, we'll, we'll turn our attention to the Sounders, and we'll bring in our special guest to talk about that right after this. Joining us on the Mainland Podcast this week, we're happy to have Dave Clark from Sounder at Heart with us. Uh, Sounder at Heart, of course, the SB Nation blog covering the Seattle Sounders and probably the most viewed uh, single team MLS blog anywhere, I'm guessing. But uh, Dave, how are you doing? And uh, welcome to the show. I'm having, a, I'm having a good day. Thank you. So the first thing I want to ask you about, Dave, is just just in general, the craziness about Seattle this this season. I mean, it, it started off uh, early on, just before the season, with, with you know, Obafemi Martins uh, leaving, and and then, uh, you know, there's been obviously not the performances that you guys are, are used to or that you expect or that, that all of us expected, really. And, um, you know, talk about the trouble in the locker room and Clint Dempsey's not happy and and uh, and now you guys are in the middle of uh, in the middle of the window. You guys uh, bring in a, a a new player from Uruguay and uh, a new DP, and and it seems like almost like everything might be okay for you guys. I don't know if it's okay yet. I mean, there, there's a lot of catching up to do, um, and a lot of stuff has happened. Excuse me. Um, you know, the quick version is whether local or national. Everybody uh, misjudged exactly what Obafemi Martins um, contributed to the team. He made them, it was about more than just his own goals and assist numbers, but the team was just better. Uh, it functioned. And they didn't replace him, and it no longer functioned, which meant that Clint Dempsey fell off the planet as an effective goal scorer. He's only got three goals this year. Uh, so where people had thought, yeah, the Sounders go from an MLS Cup contender to a, they'll, they'll at least make the playoffs. They still have Clint Dempsey to this uh, terrible season where they look like one of the worst teams in the league. Uh, they, for the most part, have had a solid defense um, that doesn't really get broken down. It just counts on them making mental errors. So the defense, for the most part, is solid. The offense has plummeted. Uh, president of Soccer Guard Lagerway didn't do much to replace Obafemi Martins until signing Nicholas Libero, but um, that's the Uruguayan that's mentioned. But that was uh, that was announced the day after they announced that Siggy Schmidt was no longer the coach. So it's uh, it's a it's been a weird year of transition here. Uh, Seattle Sounders fans aren't really used to uh, not having a playoff caliber team, and uh, we're we're trying to figure out what that means now. 
Well, and, you know, the one player I think you guys really had set your high thought at the start of the season who eventually signed with you was Jordan Morris. I think people expected him to kind of be the very young replacement for Obafemi Martins, but it really hasn't worked out for him. Um, do you see him being able to grow into that role, or do you think it's going to take a bit of a restructuring to make something happen? Well, I mean, if people wanted him to be at, a, at an Obafemi Martins uh, replacement level, they're foolish. Kyle Laren wasn't an Obafemi Martins replacement level, and he's the best rookie attacking player in the history of the league. Um, the fact is, Jordan Morris has uh, more goals than all but two rookies in the history of MLS. Um, considering that a failure has more to do with people's expectations than it does with Jordan Morris's performance. He's finishing goals at a rate that's very typical for an MLS striker. Now, Obafemi Martins finished at a rate that was atypical. Um, but, you know, uh, the main reason people think Jordan Morris isn't doing well is because uh, they uh, placed expectations upon him that were unfair. And in some ways, I think, um, show a, a lack of understanding of what American soccer is. I mean, Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey had seven goals in the rookie. Jordan Morris has seven goals. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> you know when you when you talk about it like that, it's it's obviously it's uh, it puts it all into perspective. We're a little spoiled here with what uh, Kyle Laren was able to put together last year, uh, and I think that I, I mean I know I heard national guys early this season saying Jordan Morris is going to break Kyle Laren's record this year. So I mean there was uh, obviously a lot of expectation and a lot of pressure uh, put on him early on. It's been a couple uh, I, I guess, of weeks, but like two weeks ago, Jordan Morris um, moved past Kyle Laren when it was uh, day neutral. Jordan Morris's seventh goal happened when uh, basically the same number of games into the season that Kyle had six. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, Kyle, Kyle not only had a great season, he also had a great two months, basically, mm-hmm. um, if I remember correctly, August and September where he scored as many goals in those two months as other rookies do in their entire um, opening year. Yeah, it definitely helped that he uh, scored hat tricks in, against both New York teams. Uh, that'll that'll add up your, your totals in a, in a hurry, it, six goals against two t- in two games. But um, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about Siggy Schmidt because, you know, obviously Orlando City also uh, parting ways with a, a head coach this year and, um, you know, a, a popular head coach. And I wondered kind of how Seattle fans were, how they were taking that and, and how they view it. Because, you know, it's, it is a down year, but Siggy Schmidt is, is, a, is a commodity that's it's pretty known throughout the league. And I just wanted to kind of get your feeling on, on where Seattle fans are with the move and, and what you think is maybe next for Siggy. Uh, Seattle fans fit into a couple different buckets with the move. Well, um, there have been people campaigning for Siggy to be fired literally after he won the supporters shield, but didn't make the MLS cup. People said he should be fired for that. Um, <laughs> it's a vocal element, but the standard here is so high that um, basically if you don't win an MLS cup, you can't do better than what Siggy Smith did. Uh, he had a 20 win season uh, in the post shootout era. One of only three teams to do that. Won a supporters shield. Uh, won the three straight and then the additional Open Cup, making the final for a fifth. Uh, was only the second uh, second MLS coach 
to beat a team in Mexico, um, advanced over a Mexican team in the CONCACAF Champions League knockout rounds. The, the list of accolades that he, that he racked up here created a standard that was impossible to maintain. On top of that, you have this horrible season. Um, you have what seems to be Garth Lagerwake said that he deferred um, about some of the signings, indicating that he signed players that he didn't necessarily think were great, but that other people within the uh, talent evaluation staff did. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get into that, but that, that to me sounds like there's some back office politicking going on. And from that, if uh, Garth says it, Siggy's not going to be here in 2017, and I think everybody felt that way at this point. Uh, on a bad year, it's time to make the change. And, and they called it a mutual separation or whatever. I actually think that they were truthful in that because uh, I think what Siggy Smith gave um, his assistants, and particularly Brian Smetzer, the opportunity to earn jobs for 2017 and beyond. If you go through an off-season house cleaning the assistant coaches are likely gone as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, you mentioned all of those accolades um, for Siggy without taking it all the way. And but you go, you did get Garth Logaway, who was considered one of the best GMs from RSL a few years back. Do you think that is ultimately what put him under the pressure to kind of make that separation? Only head coach you've ever known, but you can't get over that hump, even though you supposedly have. A great GM. Yeah, and I think part of it is um, those are two really powerful personalities within the American soccer sphere, and getting them to work together is just hard. Um, managing that that level of personality, you see it in American sports all the time. You know, famous coach and famous GM. Um, it unless they were unless they started with the organization together. Uh, things tend to sour. And I think there was a little bit of that. Now, now everything that I've heard is that they're very friendly to each other, but it, it was really about philosophies um, around soccer and the ideal way it should be played and how to manage that as an organization that you know is structured from U12 all the way to a, a first team within, with a large budget. So... Uh, to me, it's, it's that, and when uh, when Adrian Anauer stepped aside uh, from from the soccer side of the house and brought in Garth Lagerwey, this was one of the things that was likely to happen, and I, I'm betting that Adrian was hoping that the, the split would happen after an MLS Cup was won, because uh, ages ago, he, uh, he entrusted Siggy Smith to, to uh, run the organization, essentially. Yeah. Dave, the let's turn our attention a little bit toward uh, this weekend. Uh, you guys just brought in, uh, as we mentioned, Nicholas Ladero as a uh, as a as a DP. And um, from all intents and purposes, I didn't get a chance yet to watch the game. But for all, all intents and purposes, from what I've heard, uh, a very good performance uh, in his debut against the LA Galaxy, and, and the team seemed a little refreshed and renewed. Uh, obviously, you got to be cautiously optimistic. There's always a, a bump when you get you know, something new happening with the team. Uh, you know, what did you see from this guy, and, and what does he sort of bring to the Sounders that was missing? Well, I, I'm going to borrow a joke from one of our commenters, but uh, basically MLS Soccer put, put together a great um, all-touches video for you 
it's the entire maps. Uh, he had 124 tests, third highest in the year in, wow. in Major League Soccer. Um, that's on a team he'd never played on uh, artificial surface before, so this is his first exposure to an artificial surface. Uh, he had practiced at Century Link, I believe. Or no, they didn't practice at Century Link that week. So that was his first game first game in practice on, on an artificial surface. He's had a few full days of practice with his new teammates, and that's it. And it's an 18-hour flight from Buenos Aires to Seattle. That's the fastest that you can do that, that journey. And he did that um, Tuesday, well, Monday and Tuesday. So um, he put forward that kind of performance with a team that was dispirited, that had a new coach in place, and um, I, to me, I, that's basically as many strikes against you as you can have. It, I, it's a 27-year-old uh, Uruguayan number 10 that was the attacking mid for Boca Juniors. Uh, it's a great signing, and, and all of the potential was demonstrated when he uh, when he played on the field. Uh, if he'd gotten an assist or a goal, it would have been the uh, a, a storybook kind of performance. Instead, it was merely just a great one. Yeah, and obviously you guys are making another long trip, you know, West Coast to East Coast. Um, the teams at the bottom of you with the Western Conference haven't really traveled very well away from home. Um, do you think that you, you might be able to turn that tide around and start clawing towards the red line? It, I think uh, at this point the Sounders just have to, can't think about a red line. They have to think about every match if they want to make the playoffs, it's got to be about getting three points this weekend. And worry about next weekend, next weekend, and watch the standings never. Um, the the only way they're going to make a run is if they do it themselves. Uh, a draw against the LA Galaxy at home wasn't, wasn't an ideal result. So um, the backs are pretty much against the wall. Uh, even the most optimistic Sanders fan, of which I'm probably the leader, of that group uh, doesn't think they're making the playoffs. Um, they do have games in hand uh, over most of the teams in front of them. They have Lidero. Uh Clint Dempsey's not going to miss any more games, really, for uh, national team duty. They also signed Uruguay uh, and Alvaro Fernandez, who spent um, parts of three seasons, but basically two seasons here, scored 18 total uh, all-competition goals. So that'll help the offense uh, – Morris uh, continues to be able to be the, uh, the leading scoring threat on the team. So there's a potential that the team writes itself. But really, this is about figuring out how to play Clint Dempsey and Nicholas Rivera together, how Jordan Morris can be up top in front of both of them. And uh, that's the foundation for 2017. That should be a good attacking core. And how do you put parts around that? How does uh, Ozzy Alonso fit behind them, Christian Roldan? Uh, maybe an Eric Freebird. What are the center backs uh, soon? Um, Ramon Torres, uh, who is the uh, Panamanian giant, um, who uh, tore his ACL last year. He'll be returning shortly. So, But, you know, focusing on Orlando, I don't think Sounders fans respect to win. What they want to see is they want to see Clint and, and Nico play well. Well, why don't we turn our attention to that uh, that game specifically and how you see it? And uh, before we let you know let you go, we uh, we obviously always want to get 
uh, your thoughts on what the key matchup this weekend will be and and, and how do you see the, the final score sort of uh, shaping up? Yeah, for me, the, the, the key matchup, and it's, it's, it's interesting, um, mainly because uh, Clint and Nico use, uh, use similar spaces, and, and you guys with the two defensive midfielders at the same time um, in that 4-2-3-1, uh, Clint's going to drop into the space where the defensive mids have to, have to pick him up. That's the same spot where Lavero likes to play as well. So those two against uh, Servando Carrasco and uh, – I think the other partner is a little bit in, in question. I know last week it was uh, Nacarino, who uh, I was kind of surprised to see start. Um, <laughs> well, guess what? Chris Nagita got suspended, so it's probably going to be no Torino again this week. Okay. So, yeah, <laughs> playing in that gap between those two and the center backs, um, that's where uh, Nico and Clint have to do their damage. And kind of on the other side, it's uh, it's Aussie and uh, rolled on trying to control Kaka, and uh, I'm, I'm frightened about that. Uh, that man can see through balls that nobody else can. So um, he'll be picking out Kyle, and uh, I'm normally confident in this defense, but I, I expect two goals against just because uh, how good uh, Kaka is and, and what he can do to, uh, to control a game from those spaces. So how do you see the final score shaping up? Uh, I expect probably just a goal from, from the Sounders. I'd like to see two. Um, I think Orlando's defense is a little bit soft at times, and it's they should be able to perform well. But, again, it's another turf game. Nico's still adjusting to that. And it's uh, it's that kind of travel that for, uh, for Lavero meant, meant continental competition. In MLS, it just means leap play, uh, you know. So <laughs> it, it, it's as, it's almost it's as far as the Sounders can go within the league, and, and one of the longest trips out there. So uh, it's going that's going to be an impact. It's a road game. The Sounders are poor on the road this year. So I guess what I'm predicting is two uh, one for uh, for the Lions. Well, we'll see how it plays out. We're um, we're, we're certainly not going to. Get to make it easy for you with the weather. It's going to be hot and humid, <laughs> and, and uh, that's never uh, never easy on a team that's traveling. Um, I do want to ask a bonus question though before we let you go. Too um, obviously in the midweek we we shipped Darwin Sarin off to San Jose Earthquakes for Matias Perez Garcia, uh, someone that you're probably pretty well acquainted with uh, following a team in the Western Conference. What is Orlando City getting in the five five Perez Garcia? He was a guy that I was kind of hoping that the Sounders would look into a, uh, a DP swap. Nelson Hedo Valdez up here has been underperforming. He has um, four goals in all competitions, to be clear. There are only four competitions. He has <laughs> one in each of them. Um, in his Now he's been here a year. Um, that's not good for a $1.4 million designated player. Uh, so I would have loved to have seen them swap out. Uh, to me, uh, MPG, uh, Perez Garcia, he's a, he was underperforming. Some of that was fit. Uh, he's a guy that I think is great with the ball. He's got a good vision. He does, um, unlike Ladero, who's basically the same height, um, they, uh, Perez Garcia plays small, gets knocked off the ball fairly easy. Uh, 
he might be better in wide spaces than he is centrally, but he's the type that um, can provide a uh, a secondary source of assist besides um, Kaká. I know um, watching watching Orlando, if if you can control Kaká, then you can control the offense, and by providing another strong ball handler and 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 passer. Um, to work alongside him, I think that's a good option. Plus, you didn't need to take a DP slot. Um, it's basically it, it's a complete flyer, and it, it's the it's the type of move that I think is good for the organization because it 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 gives them uh, a chance to look at what they've got, um, bringing in a new player and a new coach at the same time can kind of rejuvenate uh, a team. So to me, I, I, it looks like a good move, um, mainly because it hardly costs you. Yeah. Well, Dave, uh, thanks so much. If this makes you feel any better, Valdez's MLS goal was against us last year. Oh, I forgot that. That's a good note. <laughs> I'll, I'll, maybe he just needs to play Orlando all the time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's uh, Some guys have it for certain teams. I know Kyle Lahren tears up the New York teams left and right, but uh, he's starting to do that to everybody. But Dave Clark, Sounder at Heart, uh, you know, thanks so much. We appreciate you coming on. You're a very knowledgeable guy, very uh you know, you're you're one of the the, the really strong voices with SB Nation uh, MLS blogs, and and we really appreciate your time. No, I appreciate you guys having me on the podcast. I I love what you what you do, and uh, I, I hope for Orlando's sake that you get get a playoff appearance because I know that that city. Um, Michael and I have chatted about this. Uh, I've got family that lives out in Orlando, and I know that city has embraced that team um, on par with the. Well, better than uh, a Salt Lake on par with Portland, that kind of uh, lower market size um, has really embraced MLS in ways that uh, some of the larger markets haven't. So I'd love to see you guys get the fan base there, get rewarded with with the play on the field, matching the atmosphere and the business success. Thanks so much, Dave, and, and we hope to have you on again soon. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Well, that will just about do it for episode 60 of the Mainland Podcast. Before we get out of here, though, obviously, uh, we have a, a few more items of business to get to, and we obviously want to thank Dave Clark from Sounder at Heart uh, for stopping by this weekend and giving us the lowdown on the Sounders this weekend's opponents. Uh, Dave's a really just a class guy. He knows his stuff and uh, very knowledgeable about the league and very passionate about his team and uh, really a good guest. He had some great answers for us. Yeah, he really did. He, he's very knowledgeable, and I think that he brought a lot to it. And I, I think this Sunday will be a really interesting game. I do too. I really have no real read on this game. It's uh, it's very, it's it's going to be very difficult. I don't even know what my prediction is going to be until we get into it. <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll get to that in a minute. We did, one thing I did want to mention: the Pride is off now until the end of the month of August. They uh, will play Washington on the 26th, and it's it's hard to imagine. All of the internationals will be playing in that game, especially the U.S. players who might go fairly deep into the Olympic tournament. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's a few weeks uh, without a Pride game, and um, you know they only have a few games left. OCB's season is going to start to wind down soon, and and uh, another item for the Pride: two Pride goal scorers on opening day of Olympic action with uh, 
Alex Morgan scoring the insurance goal for the U.S. in the first minute of the second half. And uh, Monica from Brazil, the hosts, uh, she got her team on the board in a 3-0 win over China. Yeah, I, once again, great performances. I think that, you know, obviously I think everybody expects the U.S. to go on and win it. That doesn't isn't going to help the pride in any way, shape or form. We need those <laughs> bodies back. Um, mm-hmm. And let's be honest, I think, you know, if the men's team wants to win it for in their home stadium, I can't believe that the women don't too. And they've still got Marta, who's playing in her fifth, and I think Formiga's in her sixth Olympics. Mm-hmm. So they've got some really great talent. So look out for them both and hope, you know, maybe we'll see the Australians back beforehand. We'll see. Brazil, uh, Canada is obviously a, a team to watch, and and France and and those uh, those teams are are all going to be challenging. And you know, obviously, we want the U.S. to win, but it obviously, it's also going to keep Alex Morgan away from us longer. So um, it's a double-edged sword. Um, all right, so let's turn our attention to Sunday. We've got to, uh, we've, you know, we've got the the team in green coming in. Seattle Sounders making the the uh, cross-continental uh, trip there, transcontinental trip uh, from the Pacific Northwest all the way down here to Central Florida. How do you see this game shaping up in terms of what is your key matchup and, and what's your prediction for Sunday? Uh, I am going to echo Dave very closely. I think um, it's the new guy, Ladero. He had such a great performance that you can't, you don't want to underestimate him having a bit of a sophomore slump second game. Um, obviously, it's a long trip, but I think we still have a potential rotating partnership um, of, DM, of defensive midfielders. Obviously, Higita is suspended, so it is likely to be the same partnership of Carrasco and Higita. I'm sorry, Carrasco and Nocherino. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I think they're really going to have to work hard to keep him quiet because Dempsey is still on the field, not having a great season. Um, but still very dangerous. You then also have Jordan Morris, who is still a great player um, and will be looking to break his slump at some point. And we have a very shaky defense, so I think it's going to be defensive midfielders keeping Ladero quiet, shutting down that service um, to Dempsey and um, Morris up front. Um, I'm also going to echo his scoreline. I think we get two, um, but we are porous enough to at least concede one. Um, my scorers um, for all sides, I think Morris actually does score for Seattle. And then I think Molino continues his great July into August. And I'm going to say Shea also gets one as well. Wow, that'd be cool. See uh, Brick Shea get a goal from his uh, maybe right wing position. Maybe. <laughs> I, I just I think he's potentially rejuvenated by getting a the fact that he's going to be able to shake off that left-back designation, and I think he'll be wanting to show that he can be the player that we all thought he was going to be coming in and when he was at Dallas and Stoke and, and that player moving forward. I'd like to see a Galazzo from him from, like, way outside the box, just absolutely torch one past uh, Stefan Fry. That'd be really good. Yeah. Great to see. Um, he certainly got the leg for it. He could do it. Um Interesting. I I don't know how to read this game. It's really, I mean, the Sounders on paper and and when you look at the scores and when you look at the when I've seen their games and when I've seen their highlights, they look like a bad team. But you look at the names and you look down the roster and you say this is a very good team. This is a very good team full of good players. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, I'm going to say my key matchup is 
can Kyle Laren combat Chad Marshall and Brad Evans? Um, they got like you know, like uh, Dave said, they've got a good defense. They've got a, they've got good defenders on that back line, and Kyle Laren against Chad Marshall especially is going to be a very interesting matchup for me. And uh, you know, throw Brad Evans in because you know when is Kyle Laren only uh, only had one defender on him? <laughs> you know, this year I don't think it's happened. Um, you know, his that's going to be a big matchup, and obviously I think uh, uh, Kaká against Osvaldo uh, is going to be you know another another big matchup there in the middle of the park. Uh, that those are the two key matchups I see. Uh, if Seattle's good on on um, set pieces, that could that could really spoil things for the home side because you know I don't have to tell you that the team has been very shaky defending those set pieces this year, and with guys that can take them like. Uh, like Dempsey, and then guys who can play on the other end of them, like uh, Morris, and, and even you know mentioned Valdez. I know Dave doesn't like Valdez, but he did score against us last year. Um, you know they've got guys who can get on the end of those those, uh, and and even their defenders, like guys like Marshall and Evans, can get on those those aerial balls. So uh, I'm scared to death of of, uh, of set pieces, and I'm as a result of that, I'm going to. I'm going to predict a 2-2 draw, which I think is is not what this team needs. They need three points, but um, it's it's hard for me to see past all of that talent, even though they haven't been uh, a great team this year. Uh, if they continue to build on what they did against the Galaxy, uh, it will be tough for Orlando. Now, I do think that Orlando needs to get on them early because of the you know the the travel and the heat. I think that could be a, a big ally to the the lions if they can get an early couple of goals it will be much tougher for seattle to come from behind than it would for orlando is what i'm saying i guess yeah so uh anyway those are our predictions and uh, don't wager on anything we say because i think i think last week i think i predicted a 1-1 draw and it was 3-1 to orlando <laughs> Yeah, I think I predicted a, a two-all draw. So you know, I think I went with the uh, the status quo, but yeah, it, it turned out to be a much better. I, we we were still living under the fear of the previous games, though. I think in this time, where I'm I'm a little bit more positive that we can continue to frustrate Seattle in what has been a very frustrating season for them. Well, I hope so. I hope that's the case. I want to see it happen twice before I, I kind of climb on board a little <laughs> bit. You know, I, I think anybody could do it once, but doing it twice would be hard. Uh, but yeah, it'll be it'll be great to to get three points uh, and to certainly uh, continue the team's uh, you know pretty good record against the Western Conference. Um, you know, you got to get them when they're here, and, and you know the the home games are, are running thin for the rest of this season. So when the teams come in here, you need to get three because Orlando city still just one victory on the road this year. Yeah. And obviously, like you say, we've kind of burned through a lot of our home games. So if we can keep pace, we have to be able to, to win those away games and hopefully a, a defensive marshalling system that Christ can potentially instill will make all the difference, but time is running out. It's already August. Um, the gap is starting to get a little bit further away for those teams that are pulling away. And our, also our game differential is changing um, all the time as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, we got some midweek games coming up. So the schedule is going to get more compact here in a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the team will play, obviously play Seattle on Sunday. 
then they are off for a week, and then they go to Chicago uh, on the 14th, and then uh, at Colorado. So it's, that's going to be a tough trip because Colorado's been very good this year, especially uh, defensively, although you wouldn't know it from watching that New York City <laughs> game uh, <laughs> the other day. Uh, and then, you know, immediately after Colorado on Saturday the 20th, uh, they come back on the 24th home against Toronto in a midweek game, and, and then uh, New York City comes in on the 28th. So a lot of games left in August, some good opponents. Uh, when you're talking about Toronto, New York City, and uh, Colorado, very good opponents uh, coming up. And so you got to get your points where you can get them. And, uh, you know, a team that has struggled uh, is, you know, and is, and is making the longest trip in MLS pretty much is, uh, is a team you need to jump on, and hopefully the – Hopefully Jason Christ's team can do that. I don't think they can get away with a an okay first half like they had last week. Mm-hmm. I think they need a good first half. Yeah, I, agreed. So. I think they have to, like you say, they have to come out and show Seattle that they're not going to be a walkover, that they're not going to be the same team that they saw up in the Pacific Northwest last year where we got a little bit frustrated and then just completely fell apart. We yeah. can't be that team this year. We we need to be able to take three points and and from a team that's struggling because if we can't beat a team that's struggling, how do we ever expect to stay in touch with everybody else? Yeah, if we can't beat a team that's struggling, we are the team that's struggling. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> on a bumper sticker. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll see how it all plays out on Sunday, and of course, we'll be back next week to talk about it and uh, break all down all the action and uh, uh, you know. Hopefully we'll be talking about another win, but, you know, we won't know until the game is played. Uh, and then, of course, um, Orlando City B is in uh, in action on Saturday night. They're home against uh, Toronto FC2. So uh, we'll, we'll have uh, a little bit of breakdown on that as well. And uh, then we'll probably talk a little bit about the, the pride players that are in the Olympics. So we'll have plenty to talk about again next week. But if you want to talk to us and ask us anything, please... Uh, send us an email, themainland at gmail.com. And main is spelled like a lion's mane, M-A-N-E, not M-A-I-N. Uh, so themainland at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up on Twitter, at themainland, same spelling, and uh, ask us uh, anything. And uh, just uh, put a little hashtag in there. Ask TMLPC. It's the Mainland Podcast. It's the initials there. A little acronym. Okay, so that'll do it for episode number 60. Please visit us at themainland.com. Of course, on Twitter, as we just mentioned, at the mainland. Like us on Facebook. And, uh, you know, please give us a, give us a nice rating on, uh, on iTunes and, uh, and a little bit of a review. It'd be good. That's how we, that's how we get to the, the top of those, of those uh, charts. When people, when people do their searches, they search, and then they're, they're going to get the ones that are, that are getting all the, the good pub first so uh help us out a little bit if you will doesn't cost you anything and uh, we'll see you next week with an all new uh edition of the mainland podcast for andrew harrison i am michael citro of the mainland saying go city